Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. This episode is part two of our director's guild discussion and a lead into our Oscar coverage, which will start next week. Specifically today, we're discussing the DGA nominees for first time feature. Our panel is the same as last episode, but just in case we've got brand new listeners, let's run through introductions once again. Katie Carroll, first AD, good to see you. Thanks, Kid. Happy to be back. Bill Hardy, first AD and sometime producer. Welcome back as well. Hello, Skid. Thanks for having me again. And then finally, Sean O'Banion, PGA, not DGA, but always welcome to this show, as long as you're comfortable with us teasing you a little. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Skid. Okay, team, five films, which we will discuss alphabetically by each director's last name. As a reminder, for our listeners, there may be spoilers. First up, Rod a blank for the 40-year-old version if you allow me a brief bit of self-promotion, I interviewed the cinematographer of this film, Eric Bronco, last year here on Below the Line. Uh, if listeners are interested, it was season six, episode eight. What do people think of this movie? I really liked it. thought it was maybe 15 minutes too long. Could find a few 10 to 30 second clips in there to cut and give, you know, move it along just a little bit faster. And maybe that's first time director learning curve, especially since she's also the writer, the producer, the star. There's a lot going on there for Rada, but for someone who's doing this for the first time and taking on all those roles, still overall excellent movie. Yeah, I didn't, I actually didn't know, I purposely didn't look anything up. So I didn't, I, I kind of thought from the, you know, the artwork that I was going to be watching a drama. So I was pleasantly surprised that it was, it was a comedy and, you know, I, then I saw Lena Waite's name in the credits and was like, oh, okay, oh, this is, you know, she's, she's sort of being anointed by somebody who's doing really well. Um, and I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was a unique take on the story of struggling to be a creative person. And, uh, and I love the photography skid for, for your previous guest. The black and white was beautiful. And just, yeah, really overall, I do agree it was maybe a little bit too long, um, but, but I really liked it. I think to what both of you guys said, uh, the the fact this is the one of three of the movies in this category were stage plays before uh, they were movies. And this was probably the most based on the clip at the end of the movie. I think it's the uh, more like a one woman show she did or something or a collection of performances. Anyway, that probably is where, you know, that transfer of a stage to the film is probably where that extra 15 minutes that could have gotten cut i was like two hours and four minutes oh my god what the hell and then yeah it's the fact that her name is uh she did everything so it's 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 nothing that bad but it's just a little bit too long yeah if that's the worst you can say about a movie exactly good. exactly I also really enjoyed it. Um, I think it's a, a great film. And uh, John, as you mentioned, sort of that capturing of the artist's struggle and done from an angle and a point of view that we don't often see. Uh, and so uh, the fact that really, as you pointed out, she birthed the whole thing with some collaborators and you know to, to, to pull it together, I think is really uh, a credit to her as the director and, and, and well-recognized in this category. Besides being too long, I did think some of the scenes, some of the tonal things were just a little off for me. Like just it felt, but it felt very much maybe that's also from first time director that just sometimes it didn't seem to quite flow as well. But I think that's a huge challenge that we see a lot when people play all these roles or 
do all of you think it could have been fixed just with some tighter editing overall? <laughs> I, I, I mean, yeah. It's kind of hard to say. I mean, you know, like, I don't even know if all of those people were, were actors. I don't know how, you know, she was coming in contact with a lot of people and um, maybe there were some first timers in there. So I kind of do feel like the, the editing could have supported those performances a little and maybe helped. Mm -hmm. I think um, I just I liked some of the B storylines and I'm afraid with too much editing those B storylines either get shaved down enough that you don't know what's happening or they go away altogether and I thought that really lent some more to this world that it's not just about this that it's about her teaching and discovering things about her students and about like other things besides her work this singular issue that kind of helps round out this whole world overall. That's a good reminder about the kids because um, kids are tough uh, and even for experienced directors uh, to get performances out of kids, young adults even, uh, is a real challenge that she tackled wholeheartedly in this for sure. There's a, there's a lot of, that's a lot of the, a lot of the B story as you, as you said, Katie. The next film on our list, director is Fernando Frias de la Pera for I'm No Longer Here. This is another Netflix film. I, I think I'm the only other one that saw this movie. Um, I think it's you, you and me, Bill. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really liked it. And I, I don't know whether it was because I was watching it uh, at midnight on Friday, getting ready for this uh, podcast, but I, I was prepared for something else, I guess. Having done uh, Step Up, and step up to the streets. I thought maybe it was kind of like at first the Mexican step up. Um, but then I realized that that was way, I was like, well, if you really dumb down uh, <laughs> this movie, then it could be step up. But, uh, but then, I <laughs> but I'm going to stop talking about that world. Uh, it was the Cumbia. Cumbia. Yeah, I didn't quite get the pronunciation out of it either. The, the type of the type of music that was created, I had to do research. It was created in uh, Colombia and then spread throughout Latin America. And these kids live in Monterey, and they are really into cumbia. And uh, and the hairstyle is apparently uh, directly associated with the style of music too. These kids had crazy haircuts, which was uh, <laughs> really cool. Like. <laughs> Crazy haircuts, very specific style of dress. Um, really, that entire world uh, in Monterey, Mexico. And the movie goes back and forth between what's going on in Monterey and then this new life in New York in a way that I thought actually worked really surprisingly well. Like, yeah. I didn't know what was going on at first. It's this kid by himself with uh, guys he doesn't fit in with working in New York. Another, uh, much like Minari, like yesterday in the other conversation, a foreign language film that takes place partially in America. So that was that's an interesting juxtaposition as far as these categories go. Ours versus the academies, I guess. And, and then cutting back to Monterey. And then, you know, all of a sudden you've got uh, today's headlines and the news blowing up in the the major point of this story, this kid can't let stay in Monterey because he witnessed a gang hit and has to go to New York and gets across the border. However he can. 
it feels like it's been a while since I've seen it now, but they do, they cut back and forth and there are some time jumps, right? Like we're getting the stories. We, we yeah. jumped in the past quite a bit until the, finally this two times sort of, as we said, spoiler alert, he ends up back in Mexico at the end. And so things sort of catch up in the present there. But while normally that's a conceit in film that I don't like, it did not bother me in this. And I thought that the, the, the slow reveal of what happened before felt in line with what was being shown in New York, but not like some sort of mystery that they were keeping secret. In other words, the back and forth with time didn't bother me in this, when normally that's something that I have a real pet peeve about. Yeah, I, I had to take the, fo- I was focusing on the title uh, because I always wonder when those things lose their meaning in the translation. But I think it works with I'm No Longer Here works in both locations in New York and when he's back in Mexico. You know what I mean? Like it's a ebb and flow. Now, from a AD perspective on this one, um, I it really is two full-sized movies that you're trying to get done here. And the, the, what happens in Mexico, well, you've got large crowds, you've got gunfire, you've got all of these kids. Yeah, no one in the cast... Them. No one in the cast had their picture. You know, this is not a good standard, but on IMDb, none of them had like nobody was a professional, I guess, is how you would put it. One ICE agent had a picture. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, and then New York is equally daunting as far as, you know, I think you're shooting on actual locations. I think you're shooting on a rooftop. There's a still, um, you know, a lot of miners involved, big scenes, the big party scene. Yeah, the dance, the dance stuff. That's that's really the only comparison to step up. But uh, <laughs> having been in those situations, they could be a lot of fun to shoot and very difficult at the same time because you want to capture the appropriate energy. But how do you get that going when you're like every ten seconds you're like, okay, okay, everybody be quiet. Now we got to start over again. Having having shot in Manhattan for one day, there's also the thing of like you know how soon before the teams to show up and shut us down. You know, when you're doing an indie. <laughs> yeah, I don't know a lot about the um, the the history of this one. There's a, a New York unit. But again, uh, it seems like a huge part of the film. But they did have a separate um, AD team for New York than they did in Mexico. The first director carried over, but the other folks, they, they had locals work in those angles. It's a little surprising to me that um, Netflix didn't push this more. I was sort of surprised to see it pop up. Uh, I don't think I actually even got a DVD of this one. I could be wrong because I have DVDs for everything. It seems that Netflix has ever done, but I don't remember getting this in the mail. And if it did, it came out well before. It actually is on o- under, right? Well, again, on IMDb, it's actually listed as 2019, which I found very interesting. I don't think they went the other way too, but that might be an international versus domestic loophole. As far as I don't, when they I, don't, it. I don't think we got a disc either. I, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, like you guys, I mean, I must have gotten 27 Netflix screeners. Uh, so I, I think I, this is part of it. It's not my pick for this category, but this movie really stayed with me. Here we are. You know, I had a lot to say. And at the same time, nobody it didn't got any kind of uh, representation at all. For a first time director, I think it's an incredibly ambitious film, both in its subject matter and in what they're trying to do with, the, as we mentioned, the multiple locations. Um, so, you know, hats off. Hats off to them on that. 
The next film on our list is Regina King for One Night in Miami, also based on a play, uh, Bill, as you uh, referenced earlier. Yeah, and this was my pick for this category. I actually had, it was one of my five for uh, the best director category and uh, of a feature. Of course, I have worked with Regina a couple of times too, and I like her a lot. She was very nice to my mother. Uh, <laughs> I mean, aren't we all? Bill, generally nice to your mom. <laughs> no, but it was a great, it was a, an excellent movie. I uh, had heard about it, the play, and wanted to see the story. I've had Malcolm on the mind a lot this year. And uh, it so the whole, the subject matter felt timely, as well as I think it's a powerful story. And performances were great, too. Katie and Sean, you both saw this. Let's get you back in on this conversation as well. Yeah, I loved it. I only saw it, you know, a few days ago. I was super impressed with it. I thought it was, again, another really well-told story. I thought a lot of her choices were very, very interesting, like staying on one character as they eavesdrop essentially on another conversation as opposed to traditionally going and covering that conversation. And it, it, that gives you a whole different feel for that conversation. Sticking true to who the characters were during this conversation. I mean, it's clearly a stage play, mostly all in one room, except for a few taken away. That's the one thing that was sort of lacking was the, the I'm not going to say production value because the room worked really, really well for what it was. But when you have a stage play that essentially takes place in one room, it's nice to go out and see the world a little bit better. I think that's one way that 40 year old version kind of did it a little bit better. You saw more of New York, you saw more of her world, but it's hard to tell the story and not leave the hotel room. So I don't know, I'm contradicting myself, but at the same time, I mean, I, I just, I loved it. it. The colors were so bright and brilliant and they told that story really, really well. It was always ver a very clear voice as to who was speaking and when and, and how she covered that. I thought it was really well done. Yeah, I, I generally agree. Yeah, I mean, it was, I thought photographically it was beautiful. I love the design of the room. I love the costumes. I thought all four of those actors were fantastic. Um, especially, I don't know, I don't know his name, but the, the actor who played Ali, he's the only one I think I hadn't heard of before or seen in something. And I was really impressed by the, the just the sort of the presence that he brought to it. I also think for me, you know, I, I was sort of looking at Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and this in a similar thing because they're, doing a similar thing and telling a, a story in a single location. They're both based on plays. I felt like Regina did a much better job in opening it up in certain ways. Um, and, and, you know, even the scene where they sit in the car in front of the liquor store and it, it felt Miami to me, like, you know, I, she probably shot in Atlanta or something, but I was like, exactly. okay. Yeah. But I was like, you know, I, I feel like it's of this place of this time. And I just thought she did a really great job. I think it's not my favorite on the list. I think it's very impressive. I think it's solid. Um, I think it, it felt a little more uh, by the numbers. I think it, it was well put together and she had a great team working with her. And I, I, again, I don't see any missteps. Uh, I do think the DGA has a soft spot for actors that become directors. Uh, and so if I were to, uh, if I were to, if I were to handicap the race, I think she's probably a favorite um, on this list. But as you said, uh, you know, several of you really, really enjoyed the film. So to her credit, there's nothing wrong with it. Is it 
Um, you know, as we'll, when we talk about, you know, first time director, uh, I also think actors have an, an advantage. The one thing, and I think it's, I'm sure we've said on the show many times that directors are completely responsible for is guiding the actors. And so actors have a, it's a natural role, I think, to move from acting into directing. In some ways, I guess I'm not, uh, with that first time idea, I'm not as impressed by first time directors who are actors as I am by some of the other folks who are in this category. And she's also, I mean, she has directed before. This is her first feature, but she's directed a lot of episodes of television, the, the, uh, the uh, procedural series that she was a performer on. She's done a few episodes of and things. So it's a bit of a cheat, but you're probably right, Skid, that they, you know, she may have the leg up. Plus, she's so well-loved in Hollywood. Like, I mean, like Bill said, I'd, I've never had the chance to work with her. I've never met anyone who has worked with her who didn't enjoy working with her. So that alone given that she probably at least knows or is at least only one de uh, degree of separation from many people within the DGA, like, <laughs> oh, I'm voting for my friend. But it's like, you also want to lift your friend up. Like, hey, you did a good, like, if this movie was crap, she would not even have been nominated. It would be like, oh, good job, but better luck next time. You know, so there's a little bit of helping out your friend, but the, you know, you're helping out your friend who you see has talent and can continue. And I think that in the, the stage play, it, we haven't started talking about it yet, but uh, Florian Zeller, is that his name? It was his play that he then directed as a movie, whereas this is somebody else's play that Regina is taking on and directing. Uh, so Florian had the, op someone I never met, but has uh, the option to work his stuff out with the play, whereas Regina's got a little bit harder She's got to draw her own diagrams and stuff. <laughs> the same thing with Rana Blank. It's her play. So maybe that gives Regina King a, a leg up in that she's coming to it with a different point of view and maybe isn't as married to it or isn't as in love with it. And she can shape it a little bit better, more. Yeah. I do think since we brought up Rana Blank again, I, Bill, correct me if I'm wrong, but... It, it's based on a one woman show, but it's almost inspired by the one woman show. The, the one woman show does not follow the beats of the movie. I think the movie is a genesis of an idea of things that she'd been working on, but I don't think right. it's a... Right, which I think may have played into why it's longer. You know, if you're like, I really like this bit, I really like this bit, and now you've combined them into one bit, yeah, it's harder to pull jokes out of, you know, to shorten scenes and such. That's true. I think if I do a little introspection, I am probably also holding a slight grudge against Regina King in this category because of Bradley Cooper. I think, didn't we give it to him when he got nominated for A Star is Born? That was my pick. That was my pick that year, <laughs> oh too. I really like Star is Born. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Which I was, even I loved having the conversation that it was the play of movies because it was the third time it was being made. <laughs> Uh, well, certainly nothing, uh, no dissatisfaction if Regina King does win this year. Uh, as and I've agreed with, with all of you, I think it's, it's a great film. Moving on to the fourth film on our list, Darius Martyr for Sound of Metal. That's the one I just finished watching earlier today. Another one that I, I loved it. I thought it was really, really well done. Riz Ahmed is just brilliant in everything he does. So it's hard to see what he like what might have been lacking that Riz Ahmed managed to raise up because it's 
other than uh, One Night in Miami, it's the only one with like professional actors. You have a whole lot of other like non-actor actors. So where the director might be needed a little bit more, maybe less, maybe the actors depend on the director a little bit more. I don't know. But yeah, Riz Ahmed, it's so brilliant in everything he does. But that was one where I had no idea, but I'm really happy I listened to it with my surround sound because I didn't realize how critical sound would be in that. And that was so well done. And so I would really like the way he directed it so that you completely understood what Riz Ahmed was feeling, hearing, uh, even just not subtitling the sign language at the beginning because he doesn't know what's going on, so why should you know what's going on? And only once he starts to learn it is it subtitled. I, I loved it. I thought it was really, really well done. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's actually probably my choice for the category, and part of it is because of the sound work that they did. I mean, I looked up stuff afterwards, how they were miking Riz in order to literally hear him taking breaths and the, the way that he would begin to interpret sound once it started slipping away or once he got the cochlear implant, uh, you know, when the woman first turns on that computer and it's like, the, God, it's just fantastic. And I also think, I mean, yeah, Riz Ahmed, I mean, don't get me started. The guy's brilliant. But that other actor who got a, a Best Parting Actor nomination, Paul Racy, is just beautiful. He's heartbreaking and beautiful. Um, and he actually, he got ignored by a lot of the critics groups. So I was thrilled that he got BAFTA and Oscar nominations. But I think, um, I don't know, I feel like Darius Martyr just really understood exactly how he needed to tell the story. And I really felt a lot of that in the shot selection, in the, the use of sound. And uh, I think that's why it's my favorite of this. It wasn't my favorite, but I, the sound was the best part for me, for sure. And uh, I, you know, I think it, it will be uh, probably, it, it'll probably be the direct competition to my, uh, my pick for Mank with all my echoes and oldie time sound effects that I liked there. And I re also really have to say that I was happy in the story that I am just sick of people uh, getting off heroin for the first time. I was very happy to see someone trying to stay off of heroin. The, the whole relationship with the uh, going back into rehab when you haven't actually relapsed just to maintain, I think was a, a very interesting part that we don't get to see in movies and stuff. Everybody wants to focus on the initial, because that's the happy story. Oh, they stopped using like, yeah, you still got a long time work in here and i think that riz uh, did a really beautiful job showing that too and uh paul racy is that his name uh that was i was you know i'm always impressed when i start seeing actors using sign language because uh of the whole uh louise fletcher story and getting screwed out of the altman movie i'm always i'm always for people that actually had to learn sign language for some other reason in their life being able to say hey here we are in the movies too. Yeah, Just he's another language. It's someone who knows, like, okay, I, I know French. Now I'm also bilingual. It's another language, essentially. Yeah, Paul is a child of deaf adults, um, so his parents. He grew up in that community. Um, Riz, from what I've read, spent seven months uh, learning both percussion and ASL, which is. I was wondering, wild. like, how, like, is he a drummer? Because he definitely interesting because he 
He's a he's a DJ, a DJ and a rapper in the UK, um, but had no experience with drums. But still, that's someone who knows beats, who can learn and hear the distinguish the small idiosyncrasies between different levels of beats and different. So at least he comes to it with a little bit of experience in that world, as opposed to me, who has nothing like that kind of thing. And the only the one thing that I was, as I was watching, like I lost all sense of time of how long he was there. I couldn't tell if he was there for one month, six months. Like, and I, I don't know. I like to think when he shows up in Paris, like how much time has passed? Like, I think you would have a different reception or might expect a different reception based on how long you had been apart from your lover. So if it had only been a month, Okay, also look how far he's advanced with only a month. But if it's been six months, like that's like 10%, 25%, I'm doing bad math of how long he was with this woman before that they were separated. So that was the one thing I, I kind of wish I knew how long they had been separated because that brings a different expectation to when you show up again. I think that's an interesting uh, question on that, Katie. Um, Cause one of the things that I do like about the movie, which would, I think make it difficult to sort of define things the way you're asking is that it didn't follow some sort of arc where now I'm setting up for the next bit of the journey. It's sort of, there was a sort of we are with them in this moment and these moments are um, chained together. uh, But that really worked for me. And I think it goes to your point as well, Bill, where the issues of his heroin addiction really come up in a, I think a really beautiful way it's layered into the story where there is no, you know, it's not obvious. It's not even stated that I used to be a heroin addict. He basically is responding to a question when he asks how long and, you know, not naively perhaps, but I hadn't even recognized as part of his character, but then it made a lot of sense with the things that happened before. And sort of, I think just the story unfolded in a way that was, was really skilled. I think, this may be my choice. It's actually one of my favorite films of the year overall. And I think what impresses me as far as earning accolades in this category is just so many elements, the sound design, the story layering. I wasn't aware, Sean, that there was that much sort of prep with the actors as far as getting ready for it. That just, that shows a singularity of vision, I think, that I'm, I'm really impressed uh, that uh, Darius was able to pull this together. The other interesting thing here is there's only one member of the team listed. That is the unit production manager, Amy Green. I mean, there must have been ADs there. Do you think Amy just did it all? Like, was this, did, Katie, you just watched it. Did they separate ADs in the credits or did they just roll, scroll right I through those folks? just watched it, but then I had to run to the restroom right afterwards. And I, <laughs> I think I skipped that part. I hate skipping the credits, but so I let it roll because I wanted to listen to it, but. I don't remember. You, you shouldn't run to the bathroom. Uh, just a little, <laughs> little callback for fans of the show. You shouldn't. Uh, you should never run to the bathroom. Skid will tell you that. Yeah, not unless you got. Not unless you got a spotter. All right. So, <laughs> moving on to the fifth director on this list, Florian Zeller is nominated for The Father. Bill, as you mentioned earlier, it's based on the play that he wrote, uh, but then has been adapted for the screen by him. And really beautifully, I thought like it, it, uh, it definitely is another one of those uh, two or three location kind of things, but then it plays into the story, how many actual locations there are. 
I, I really enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed the uh, way it was done. Performances across the board were great. Uh, there's just, it's another one of those uh, guys. It's weird to say about a dementia or Alzheimer's film, but uh, there are a lot of Easter eggs, you know, like there's a, the set sets changing in ways that it needs to, for the story, not in ways that are, you know, it's gotta be very deliberate. And uh, yeah, I think I'll, I will, as weird as that sounds, I'll get enjoyment out of looking for that stuff on uh, repeat viewings. Katie, I think you said you had not seen this one. Is that right, I Katie? I hadn't. I knew what it was about. It was on my list. I just didn't have a chance to see it. I will watch it. But I didn't realize that they did that. And that's a fascinating. I love when directors think of little, or maybe it was even written into the script. Who knows? But those little Easter eggs and little moments that start to affect the audience. And so the audience can see everything from your protagonist's point of view, like Sound of Metal. So I, I love when you can see everything just differently and how the director can shape how the audience is viewing a movie that way. I find that fascinating. Katie, the reason I um, asked directly because earlier you mentioned um, the films that had professional actors. This is one that obviously not beyond just that it's Anthony Hopkins in the lead role, but the supporting actors across the board are doing amazing work with this material where they're changing roles and it's all sort of layering in. It's another movie where I think Florian had a vision for how it, you know, it was going to come together. Um, yeah. What I guess uh, about the father, I mean, I, you guys have kind of covered it all already. Um, I wasn't looking forward to watching the film. I have history in my family with uh, dementia and things like that. And then I'm actually in the midst of dealing with something, you know, peripheral to that at the moment but I did watch it uh, two, three weeks ago and really liked it. And part of what I appreciated about it was what you guys have touched on, which is the layering of levels of confusion to the audience. Some of it you're picking up on, some of it is very clear and, and others are very um, almost imperceptible. You have to be looking for them, whether it's the color of a wall or, or something in the set dressing that has changed places. And I thought that was fantastic. I mean, to say that, you know, Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman are great is like, well, yeah, they are. They always are. Um, but also the, and I don't want to spoil for Katie, but the switching of actors and things like that, it's really just, like you said, Skid, it sort of lends itself to having a very specific vision and a, and a very keen way of telling it. It's the fact that it's the, it's perspective. It's the fact that it's from, uh, victim's perspective is that the right word i'm thinking of the uh the patient oh my god i'm getting worse yeah. but uh the from father, the father the it's from the father as opposed to the family uh which is the perspective that these stories have a tendency to take much like with uh, as i was saying earlier with uh, the heroin addicts it's the beginning of the tale as opposed to the later on in the tale because it's a different story it, it sucks you in because you suddenly have lost con you're lost the ability to tell where you are, what time it is and, or who these people really are. Um, yeah. It's very engaging for sure. I, I was really caught up in this one too. Yeah. Zeller has said that he, he considered the film a puzzle that has several pieces missing intentionally. And it, it really does put you in the position of Hopkins' character, also named 
uh, Anthony, that some of it can be disconcerting, but that's exactly what his experience is. And like you were saying, Katie, in terms of putting us into Riz's character in Sound of Metal and what, you know, the overwhelming nature of feeling something slipping away from you that you have no ability to control is, is um, it's pretty impressive the way both of those directors, Zeller and Martyr, have been able to do that. I find that, I mean, that's one of the reasons I put off on seeing the fathers that I also have history of dementia in my family. And it's like, oh God, can I watch another movie? Like thinking maybe it'd been nominated just because again, Anthony Hopkins, Olivia Coleman, like the movie's not going to be bad, but is it going to be not to say the same old thing, but the same old thing. Like I've seen this story before, maybe it'll bring something new to it. But now as I hear more about it, like, I don't know that I've ever seen this story before because all of us who have ever had to deal with a family member who has dealt with this, you deal with the family member, you don't deal with the actual diagnosis. You don't see it from their point of view. And now I'm actually fascinated to watch this movie and see it from their point of view and how that might help, you know, heaven forbid, I have to deal with it in the future. You know, Katie, I had a similar approach to this. Sony Picture Classics sent this DVD out, actually, I think very early. It's one of the first ones I received. And we're just at the age where we're we're dealing with this in our families. I had no intention of seeing this film, at least not, you know, till some more time had passed. I watched it specifically because of its appearance um, in several categories uh, for the nomination. And both because of and in spite of my personal relations the film is just really powerful. Like it does a really amazing job of, of capturing that in a way that folks, I just recommend you watch it, particularly if you're dealing with this in your family, just it's a perspective that's hard to get. So. And it really just sums up how uh, happy this whole category is. <laughs> I mean, you know, the 40 year old version was like, thank God this one's got, Oh my God, I'm laughing. Uh <laughs> You know, yeah. it's and and I think that that goes back to 2020. 100 percent. Absolutely. It's nice to even if it was a little bit too long. I'm like, I don't mind if you bring it back around to another joke or like the teens, like her classroom. I loved pretty much every scene in, in that classroom. They were all brilliant. So, I mean, yes, we already talked about this film, but it was nice to watch a comedy that's true comedy. And even if you're laughing at the dark moments in life, gives you something to laugh at because that's, I mean, life overall right now is pretty dark for pretty much everyone. So it's kind of nice to be able to laugh at the dark moments. Well, if you're going to watch uh, all five of these films as a marathon, <laughs> where are you going to put 40 year old? Like what's your, or what's your choice of order that you can actually get through them and not, you know, not too much depression, but, you know, be able to appreciate each of them. How, it was, how you th it was three for me. I, I think I put that one in the middle. I think that uh, One Night in Miami has the uh, Sam Cooke ending where it's like, oh, my, the world can come back. It can all happen. <laughs> um, so that's why I would put the comedy in the middle and One Night in Miami at the end. Sound of Metal has that's kind of a hopeful ending. I mean, it's not that bleak. It's a little bit more, all right, well, okay, now I'll deal with the world the way it is and I can move on. And it, so, yeah, it's, I mean, it's not all bleak, but I mean, it's just, yeah. Yeah, it's heavy. I mean, they're, they're heavy topics to be sure. I, I probably, I mean, I did watch 40-year-old version at the end of the others. So 
for me, it was like I was saying, it was it was a relief not knowing what it was to find out that it, that there was loads of humor in it and, and just a story that I sort of resonated with as well, um, being 45 now. So, uh, yeah, I would end with that one probably because it worked out well for me. <laughs> well, those are films. Nothing on this list that I wouldn't recommend people watch. The DGA itself this year is going to do a virtual ceremony. Are any guys planning to attend? Not you, Sean, of course, but maybe you can sneak Thanks. on with something. Thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> I, I RSVP'd uh, just because it was free. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that is the big uh, difference this year. I think um, last year's DGA Awards was the last personal trip I made before the pandemic came and just locked everything down. And so... Yeah, I think I can recreate the open bar at my house. And I think the food here might even be a little better, but uh, it will be free. That's a big difference. I was going to say, I ended up uh, well, a year ago now, two years ago now, working on a TV show that I thought for sure was going to get nominated. And I told everybody on my staff, look, if you guys get out to LA, I'll buy the tickets. I'll buy us a table. It will have a great time because long story, but I, I enjoyed working with my team so much. And then a, not only were we not nominated, but B, I'm like, there's not even a table to buy. So maybe I'll RSVP and just click drinks with them virtually and say, screw I, you or not. I, we'll see. I remember, I remember the, the one dinner that I actually went to, the one uh, award ceremony was uh, 2001. No, it would have been 2000, I guess. But Carl Reiner kept, was the host and kept saying over and over again, uh, nobody wants to watch you guys on TV. You know, like we're, that's why nobody knows what that's going on here. It's like we've got all these movie stars; they want to see them, but nobody wants to see you guys on TV. So, so this is the first time now it's on TV, but only to those who RSVP. Right? Yeah, I did. I did attend my my virtual producer skilled awards, and I got to say, it was pretty slickly done. So the DJs got their work cut out for them. If anyone can do a virtual award show, if the DGA and the PGA can't, what are we doing? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, your PGA problem might be too many cooks in the kitchen. But no, it was good. It was it was well done. I mean, they had a like even a proper like you know kind of like the way the Oscars does when they go to their commercial breaks. And they have that announcer come in. Like they had this super pro voiceover lady, and I was like, wow, okay, we're doing this for real. Interesting. Maybe maybe I'll. I mean, that is the plus side is I can just watch it from home in my sweats with a drink instead of having to get all dolled up for it, which is fun, but also just kind of a pain in the ass. So, you know, maybe it'll be worth it this year. Well, next time we get together, we'll compare notes on how these things played out. Everybody, thanks for hopping on today. It's been great seeing you. Thanks, kid. Thanks, everybody. Next, we turn our attention to the Oscar nominees. Three episodes a week between now and the Academy Awards. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. I really appreciate your feedback. You can send email comments to skid, S-K-I-D, at belowthelineoneword.biz. That's B-I-Z. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us reach new listeners. And new listeners, the best way to peruse previous episodes is on our website, belowthelineoneword.biz. More than 70 episodes available. Maybe we talked about one of your favorite shows. If you're on Facebook, you can find photos and other behind-the-scenes materials at Podcast Below the Line. And finally, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Pod Below the Line. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music and John Wan for our logo. 
The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. As always, thanks for listening. Be safe out there. Um, yeah, I, I, sorry, I, I don't, that's just, that's an edit point for you later, Skin. Sorry. I, I don't know if I can fix that tongue tied bit in post, but I'll do my best. <laughs>